Most people, when you're talking smaller businesses, don't believe they need a crisis management plan. And I will say very clearly to anybody, regardless of the size of their company, it is not if, but when you will have a crisis. Welcome to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground, where we talk about supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity with everyone from academics, historians, and business leaders. With your hosts, Chloe Guidry-Reed and Adam Moore, you'll hear inspiring stories and practical tips for overcoming challenges and gaining insight into supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity. Let's dive in. This episode is brought to you by Higher Ground. Higher Ground is a technology company whose mission is to bridge the wealth gap through access to procurement opportunities. Higher Ground is making the enterprise ecosystem more viable, profitable, and competitive by clearing the path for minority-led, women-led, LGBT-led, and veteran-led small businesses to contribute to the global economy as suppliers to enterprise organizations. For more information on getting started, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E-G-R-O-U-N-D.io. Now on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. You're joined by your two favorite hosts. I'm Adam Moore here again with Chloe Goodry-Reed, and today we're going to be welcoming Anthony Hayes, the president and founder of the Hayes Initiative, a full-service public affairs firm providing strategic counsel and support on a range of needs, including communications, media outreach, crisis management, government and community relations, and event planning. Anthony has spent more than 15 years in communication, crisis and issue management, and political and legislative campaigns. He has cultivated an energetic, fast-growing company now trusted to execute strategy for prominent clients around the globe. Anthony, welcome to our show today. So glad to have you on. Thank you so much. It's great to be here with all of you. Yes, thank you so much, Anthony. We would love to hear more about what you are doing in New York City. So tell us a little bit about the the Hayes Initiative. Sure. So, um, well, again, thank you guys for having me. I am in New York City, and we I kicked off the Hayes Initiative right at the end of 2016. I was just wrapping up my time with Secretary Clinton's presidential campaign in 2016, and considering joining a few communications firms here and a friend of mine and I were sort of talking and I said, yeah, I go, I think I'm going to join this firm. And, and, you know, a few other people that I've worked with in the past said, gosh, that's great. Let us know. We'd love to have you run our communications again. You know, we'll transfer everything over once you, you know, move over there. And, you know, she said, you've always wanted to start your own business. You know, how many retainers do you need to start a business? And I was like, I, I don't know. How many do you need? And, <laughs> um, you know, here we are wrapping up our fifth year. And, you know, I'm really proud to say, you know, we started with one client and have, you know, sort of grown to well over 30 and have received an honorable mention as best in public affairs from PR Week Awards uh, recently. Yeah, thanks. It feels good to sort of, you know, when I rewind to the conversation, I just shared with you, I, Mm -hmm. you know, I certainly wasn't in the the headspace for that to say the least, because, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're wrapping up a presidential and I was very lucky in the fact that a lot of those early conversations really were happening in late 2016, right before Thanksgiving, which was, you know, just a few weeks after the election. Mm -hmm. Um, And so things were moving very fast. And I think I was mostly just excited to get back to my apartment and sleep finally. And (laughs) 
I can only imagine. Yeah. And wasn't necessarily in the headspace of creating a business, but mm-hmm. I'm really glad I did. And, you know, we really do focus on three areas, right? So we have three areas that we sort of have our expertise in, which is communications, mm-hmm. uh, government relations, and then we uh, focus also on stakeholder management. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our clients can either hire us for a piece of those things. So someone may hire okay. us just for government relations, um, mm-hmm. or we're working with a major league soccer team here in New York City around that them building a stadium here. And we really ah. touch on all three of those, right? Communication. That would be the Red Bulls, if I remember my soccer correctly. Very close. That's our rivals. Uh, I won't hold it against Oh, I picked up one. I had yes. a 50-50 chance. <laughs> yeah, you definitely had a And here's the deal. I, I love soccer. So uh, even, even talking about the Red Bulls is great. So, but for the, for New York City Football Club, we do all three, right? So stakeholder management, government relations, and communications. But it's, it's been a lot of fun starting the firm. And I've, managed to sort of wrangle a bunch of people that I've worked with in the past. And I don't somehow, I guess, hoodwinked them into coming and working with me again. And they've agreed and and here we are. So it's really been a, a fun ride since that early conversation with uh, my friend in 2016. That's awesome. I want to build out like, so you talked about the three main areas, like mm-hmm. tell us sort of tangibly, like, what does that mean? And what does that look like, you know, for an organization when they tap into you, what type of services, what type of engagements would they expect to receive? Sure. So there's lots of reasons that folks reach out to us. So one example is uh, recently, certainly strongly in the government relations category, right? So when I say government relations, it's a combination of pushing to get legislation, pushing to, you know, oppose legislation or regulation, fighting for, you know, we did some work with Time's Up here in New York, where we increased uh, and made New York have some of the strongest rape laws in the country. So there's, nice. there's the advocacy point of view. There's a business point of view where somebody mm-hmm. hired us around in New York. There's a big push to give out two or three, I believe it's three new casino license, right? Because mm-hmm. gaming in New York is a hot topic right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we got hired and a lot is done on the legislative process for the state of New York in, in the budget. Um, so we have our budget session, which is generally January to March. And then we have um, sort of legislation March to June. And so so they were really trying to focus on the casino piece um, and some of the legislators across the state were wanting to carve out geographic exemptions so that it basically said, we, we can give out you know more casino license, but none can be placed in, I'm making things up, Brooklyn or Albany. or So they were trying to exclude things in the language already, even though the plan for these casino licenses for everybody to be able to compete put forward a bid and then really the public decides, right? So we were, for instance, hired just to, to make sure that when they were passing the budget, there were no geographic exemptions. So it was actually a fairly, it's rare that we're that narrow. It was a very narrow, like, this is our mission. This is what we want to do. We don't really want to worry about anything else that might get passed around it. It's just the geographic exemptions. And so that's a government relations piece. But communications, you know, that really ranges a lot. That can be hiring us to create a a full strategic communication plan for them. Um, We have a lot, we do about 50 to 60% of our communication work is crisis management, crisis communication. And that ranges from people calling us because they know there's about to be a crisis and they want to know how to announce it and really sort of be the one to become, you know, transparent about what the crisis is about to be. 
or they call us mid swing, which is, I would say probably more 80% of what we do. So someone says something dumb and they call yeah. us <laughs> your executive say back, something. Back, and then back in like, the day, we, we used to call that a spin doctor, but anyway, sure. <laughs> sure. If they're paying you back. Like, right. Exactly. <laughs> How, whatever you want to call it, Adam, as long as his money's green, we're going to be That's okay right. with Did that. Did they sign the contract, Adam? Then right. I'm- exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. But I think that's, I think that's great, Anthony. You know, a lot of Chloe and I's listening base is small and diverse businesses, right? And one of the things that we continually talk about, emphasize, right? And that is communication and over-communication and the need for communication. And if you're not communicating, please start now. So talk to our audience a little bit and, and crisis communication, I think is a great thing. I mean, we just made a little bit of fun of it, right? But it is a real, it's a really big deal. deal. And I come from a regulated industry, right? I'm in banking professionally in supplier diversity. And you want to talk about a group that has communications buttoned down to a science, Mm -hmm. right? Notice I totally avoided the name that I work for because we have communications buttoned down to a science. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, But talk to us a little bit. Why, you know, but but a lot of times we talk to small business owners about these type of issues and like, oh, that's just corporate America. Ugh, that's just Adam. He's in regulated industry, but it's not right. People don't realize that in, in any industry and anytime a crisis occurs, that can wipe out anybody, right? It does, it's not just oh, a big yeah. voice. It's, it's everybody. So talk to our audience a little bit about the necessity of having a good communications firm on staff or on retainer to handle that whoopsie moment of where somebody says something stupid sure. publicly and you're like, oh, yeah, here comes the you, cleanup. Yeah. And then yeah. you open yourself up to shareholder suits. Oh, so yeah. to avoid that. Yes. yes. I think most people think about crisis communication or crisis management for, you know, the really big, the big fortune, you know, 100, 500, like, and they don't, they don't realize. And I think the thing that I always talk about just as it, it just broadly speaking about communicating is communicating well is actually hard work, no matter big, small, you know, I don't have to tell the two of you, even sort of this conversation we're having today, you know, there was a lot of work that went into coming together. You guys being very thoughtful about, Oh, you know what? We're going to talk to him. We want to make sure we're asking this. We definitely want to hit on this because exactly your point, our listeners are this. So I think you can always sort of fly by the seat of your pants, but I think people know when you do that. And I think people can tell when you're doing that. And then when you get to crisis, crisis can take on many forms. I mean, the reality is we're currently still in a sustained crisis, a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so depending on where you are in the country or around the world, you really are in different, you know, experiences in, yeah. in from a business perspective, you're having a different conversation with your consumers about it. Mm-hmm. So if you're like me in New York city, yeah. you know, for the longest time, we were oh, just man. closed. Yeah. Right. Um, oh yeah. If you were in Florida Georgia or Atlanta, for example, <laughs> yes. <laughs> You were open Just the South yes. <laughs> and Florida, you know, Florida was basically like, I don't, what is COVID? Um, so they, right. they yeah. just had a different approach, which is perfectly whatever that is. I don't, you know, I'm not going to get into that, but when you get into communicating, whether it's sort of little C crisis or big C crisis, where perhaps you're making something, uh, you, you produce something and people are buying it, you know, that's great. Now you have a business. Somehow something has happened where whatever you're producing isn't working. You know, most people, when you're talking smaller businesses, don't believe they need a crisis management plan. And I will say very clearly to anybody, regardless of the size of their company, it is not if 
but when you will have a crisis. Again, I don't mean dramatic like the company's folding and everybody's running out of a burning building. I just mean little C, capital C crisis is going to happen to any business because just is what it is. But most people don't have a crisis management plan. So some people hire us because they're looking to either build one, refresh it. Some people may have one and they're like, you know what? We haven't dusted this off in a while. Um, (laughs) I certainly think a lot of people, I hope, knock wood, I hope a lot of people did after COVID go through and say, what were our protocols? Did we have that? Did we have like a printout of logins in case we can't get to the office or phone numbers to the attorneys or who should be in the crisis, you know, who should be in the quote war room, the fictional place where we sort of all get in the conference room and grind out what it is. But crisis is, it's just an inevitable part. And I think the more that you do ahead of time, when you're breathing, when you're not in crisis, when you can figure out like, oh, right, we would want to, I think someone said shareholders earlier, we would want to make sure that if this, if something of this level happened, we would for sure want to let this group of people here, shareholders, attorneys, you know, external vendors, We'd want to let all those people know, hey, this is happening. We're handling it. And this is how we're handling it. Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, and that's something we talk to our listeners about all the time. It's business continuity plans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. That's right. And, and what what does that look like for you guys? And they're like, hey, if we just want to wake up and make sure the business is running. They're like, we're more concerned about. I'm like, you don't understand. I get it. You got a ton going on in your plate. But if you don't have a plan, yeah. even if it's not a fully baked plan, something's better than nothing. At least if it's a phone number like, oh, here's Anthony's phone number. Break glass <laughs> in case of emergency. Right. <laughs> That's better than not than kind of go through Google and go emergency communication and then filtering through it. Right. I mean, at <laughs> yes. least having a yes. phone number is better than having nothing. Yeah. And I think you're, I think you're hitting the nail on the head, right? I think sometimes people don't do it because they think it needs to be really, you know, we're complicating a ham sandwich a bit, yep. right? Yeah. Where, right. Oh, yeah. where all of a sudden you have this idea that it needs to be 25 pages and you need to lay out every scenario under the sun. And it's just, no, who's your team? Who are the people you're calling? It, does it involve shutting stuff down? Is it, does it involve media? And you just, a good crisis management plan just asks a series of questions. You know, does it, does it affect supply chain? If yes, do this. Does it, it does it involve media? If yes, do this. And the, so you can sort of break down a series of questions that gives you and your team a direction to head based on what's happening. Yeah. Awesome. That's fantastic. I hope all of you heard what he just said, <laughs> right? We'll Take see. that to heart, please. Yeah, we'll see. I know. I believe in you guys. Take it to heart. I know you're going to execute against that, but I mean, it's, it's vitally important. Yeah, it is. You know, most of the time, Adam and I flip, you know, he plays, <laughs> you know, the, you know, corporate questions. Right. And I usually ask the small business questions, but a good bit of our listeners are also corporations. Mm-hmm. That's right. So also when I think about um, so many of companies that we're talking to right now, they're like, well, you know, we said we were going to spend spend more with, you know, our diverse suppliers. We haven't reached those goals, you know, and they're panicking and frantic, but I'm like, you know, and, and trying to do a lot of different things to try to make that happen instead of getting in front of it with the right communication, mm-hmm. you know, and making sure that your customers and your shareholders, oh, yeah. internal employees, external all know that, you know, maybe you made this effort and this is what this effort looked like. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about how corporations, you know, should really sort of start to, you know, I mean, enterprise organizations start to think right. about crisis com- communications and just communications in general. Oh yeah. Did we say what we're, did we do what we said we were going to do? Right. 100%. So 
We had a very interesting uh, seat, I would say, over the last two years, just for small business, large business, nonprofits, foundations, advocacy organizations, everyone having a moment of managing crisis, right? And so that obviously was what we already talked about with COVID. But then I think what happened is, to your point, when you know there's too many to name, but George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement really gratefully having us have a conversation that was long overdue. I think a lot of people were like, yeah, well, welcome. Yes, this has been here. Thanks. <laughs> right. Welcome to the party. Thank you for, yeah, like, thank you for joining the conversation. Thank you for joining the yes, conversation. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. and then there's, you know, and I can certainly, uh, as a member of the LGBTQ community, and, you know, as I always say, the Hayes Initiative is an LGBTQ owned and operated firm. So I feel very strongly about that just as a small business owner too, is making sure that a lot of people wanted to talk about equality. A lot of people were looking around for the first, some the first time some were some to your point were like man two years ago we said we were going to do this and like now that this is happening where we're where we're having this very focused conversation we're realizing geez we didn't do that at all and so the question is is how do you do it authentically thank you and not you need to be very and this is a strange you know because obviously i love to only talk about my business and to pretend like i'm the only one that matters in business and everyone (laughs) should hire me but (laughs) but that's a small business owner right there. Love it. Keep going. <laughs> but yes. people like me can help you communicate what your values are and what you believe. I can help you communicate the systemic way that you are creating equality, but I can only do that if you're doing that. And so I can write something that's really wonderful, you know, as can many PR people. But do you mean it and believe it? And are you going to put resources behind it? And so I think the thing I would sort of caution big business, any business, anyone who really wants to, I, this is true just in life, right? As people, can you back it up, right? Do you have, you know, are you ready to write the check, so to speak, to, to, cover your words. And so I think we really worked a lot with our clients unrelated to our scope of work completely. I mean, this is definitely not what we were hired to do, but I think, you know, oftentimes as a comms firm, clients will call and say, is there any way we could just pick your brain on this? And so we really talked a lot about that because, you know, when we played devil's advocate a lot with people, because we would read these one, I mean, just incredibly inspiring and thoughtful words. And, and I'm like, but what are you doing? Right. Yeah. What's the plan? Where's the action? And so to your point of the people who are trying to put action behind it, right? Because look, Mm -hmm. I think, well, hopefully what people have seen about just equality in general is, is that we're not going to write, you know, all the many, many, many decades, years, hundreds, you know, like in a statement in a year. But what we can do is, is we can take steps, right? And so if you fall short to not set a goal means you're not measuring something. And so if you're not setting a goal of, you know, number of women in C-suite, you know, number of Mm -hmm. people of color in the, in the, on the board, you know, Mm -hmm. LGBTQ, whatever, like, I think there's a list, right? Right. Yeah. There is a list. And so- But if you don't set a goal, then how do you know if you're doing it? And it's one thing if you're not meeting it, but trying. And you're also saying, listen, we fell short. Because I think the reality is people can actually understand that. And also just sort of the owning of it and saying we fell short and need help. Right. right. The vulnerability of that just exactly. makes it automatically like trust, building trust, right. you know. But to your point about corporate, especially larger entities um, who have, you know, thousands of employees, this is gratefully 
you know, not only is it the consumer, but it's your employee who Mm -hmm. are going to be wanting needing, you know, I can talk about from an LGBTQ equality perspective, you know, I think what big business sort of started to notice, you know, if you rewind 15-ish years is when we really started moving, uh, you know, from civil unions to the words marriage equality in the country, people started realizing because People were turning down jobs because if they moved out of a place like I'm making it up New York to somewhere else and they couldn't get married or bring their husband or wife or their kids on their benefits, yeah. on their yeah. benefits or yeah. so they just started realizing from a talent perspective, we're going to have a problem. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they started realizing, that makes so much sense. but then they also started realizing from a comms perspective, we're going to have a, like a reputation problem. Right. Right. Exactly. So exactly. it's twofold. People talk. Yeah. Yeah, it's twofold. So when big companies think about whether you're talking about, you know, social justice, equity, however you want to like, whatever, however you're defining it for your company, right? Um, Just, it's not just internal or external, it's both. And so, you know, I think I use him as an example quite a bit, Jamie Dimon, who I think is really someone who has stepped into a fascinating (laughs) role about how he speaks in terms of sort of a big global CEO, you know, and the example I always like to give is right before the 2020 election, you know, obviously politics in America is wild. Um, And I think that he put out an email to his employees because I think he sort of noticed I'm going to have employees that want one result and I'm going to have employees that want another result. And I've got a business to run and our business impacts the global economy. And so he put out an email to the staff that was essentially, listen, we're going to come to, regardless of the results, we always come together at this organization. We're going to come together again. While some people may be disappointed and some people may be happy, what we need to do is move forward and serve our, serve our customers. There you go. Yeah. I believe my, again, I'm, no one told me this. I don't have any insider information, but if I was the comms person (laughs) at that organization, I would have done what I believe happened is they made sure that got to a reporter. And then Jamie Dimon's message to his employees set a tone for the global financial market. But I don't think Jamie Dimon wants to be talking about politics or an election. No, No, not particularly. But he knew from a business point of view, again, when you think about your employees, employees, your customers, yep. what's about to happen yep. in the world. He felt it was necessary to do it. And I think it's, I think it was a very, very smart and thoughtful move of like, listen, right. yeah. I, I, there are going to be some people who are unhappy with the results, but we need to move forward. Yeah. So. I, mm-hmm. That is an, an excellent point, Anthony. And, and that kind of talks point. to one of the things that Chloe and I talk about a lot too. And that's, that's brand voice and brand authenticity. Right. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. you said, Jamie Dimon is not known to be a political pundit. Right. You don't see don't see him on CNN no. like at all. No. Right. Like at all. But had a very impactful statement that did mm-hmm. make it out into the public eye and ear. And everybody's like, yeah, we probably do need just to come together and get, you know, and move this country forward. Yeah. So but talk about how important it is to have a communications, either team or third party like yourself to help a CEO or any of the C-suite kind of maneuver and put together a message that's authentic and on brand, right? Because we noticed that in the civil unrest of last year, right? All of a sudden, all these brands are starting to put out messages. Chloe and I even said it in one of our episodes. It's like, that was so inauthentic. 
it wasn't even funny. And we're not even looking hard, right? We're just reading what you guys are putting out there. And it's like, ooh, don't jump on the train unless you really know what the train's about. Yeah, not only not authentic, but just if some of them was offensive, you know? Like it was just, it was so it was. far. I'm like, it was. what? It really was. Who put this together for you? Yeah. 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 No, I, it, you know, it's, I, listen, I, it's a very hard, at the end of the day, we work for our clients. And I think one of the things that we do is I always view whether it's internal crisis, external crisis happening in the world, whether you're talking about an election or whatever, however you're sort of framing the word, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to speak about your values, your mission, what you serve and what you do. I think it's an opportunity. And I think a lot of times what happens is everyone gets so, and I get it, it's the whether little C capital C crisis, it's you're, you're revved up, right? You, you, you want to, when you're in a crisis, you want to feel in control. And so therefore you try to do something. And sometimes it's like in the, in the, in the rush to do something, you know, you really sort of um, to your point uh, can, can shoot yourself in the foot. So what we do a lot of um, is, is challenge, you know, behind closed doors. Um, I would say a lot of our, our communication work and our efforts and our strategy happen, you know, when the doors are closed and everybody's frustrated and saying things. And, you know, I think it's because of our team's experience and, and what we bring to the table is we're very comfortable pushing back at a, at a high level. And I think that it's very hard to do that because, you know, when you're sitting there sitting across from a C-suite person, no matter whether you're in the organization or out of the organization, you know, you realize like these are the people that hire and can make really big decisions. And so, but you can't like our reputations on the line too. So to let people go too far one way or too far another way and not push back, like I, it would be really difficult for me to have integrity with what we do because it's either we're helping you communicate something, number one, that we believe in, but also two, that it's, is this really what you believe? Like, or are you going to be able to, 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 again, write the check to cover the words kind of thing? And I just don't know that a lot of people do. Yep. So, but we help a lot in that in that space awesome. with mm-hmm. this specifically some very heated conversations. And there are definitely times where part of our role is even if you're talking about like stepping out of like how to communicate authentically about sort of uh, equity, social justice, etc. Like even just moving into a crisis or how to respond to something is being willing to have that really um, what can feel hostile if you're on the receiving end of a mock interview or, or me saying, but what does that mean? What do you mean? What are you talking about? You're going to do what for who are you really doing it? Have you already done it? Did you get it done? Is it done? Right. And right. so <laughs> that's the question. And where's the it, proof? it doesn't yes. feel good when you're the one no. sitting there and you're the CEO. And then sometimes I'm doing that in front of your team. Right. And so, yeah. you know, there's a, you learn how to do that in a, in a way that, mm that they don't feel, they realize you're doing it about helping them, right? My whole goal is to help them with their reputational management. And I want to make sure that someone who's really a a strong leader can handle that really, Mm -hmm. really well because they realize, gosh, you know what? This guy, this guy from the the Hayes Initiative, whoever he is, (laughs) whatever, this moment behind closed doors in the boardroom doesn't matter. But when I step out to the bank of cameras, yeah. Matters That's greatly. Matter. Yes. So I'm going to let this guy who thinks he's really great <laughs> take me apart a little bit. Um, and, you know, yeah. so it's a give and take when you hire uh, yeah. firms like ours. So, 
Yeah. Also, one thing that I will just share before starting Higher Ground, the companies that I was in when there were issues, the lack of communication around things also spoke volumes, you know, internally. And I think that what's left is people making assumptions and usually going down the wrong path. So, I mean, you know, when you think about just the lack of communication, we won't talk about this because I don't know how to properly frame it. You know, that's how I think bad information starts to spread. So maybe talk a little bit about your experience with that and how um, you've seen communication or the lack of communication either build up morale or just sort of break it down internally. Sure, man. No, I, I love this topic. So It is always a catch-22 to understand, and especially, you know, I think when you're a smaller organization, you will, quote, take a swing at everything that's happening because you're just, you're trying to get seen and done and do. And so I'm all for that. I'm all for that sort of scrappy communication plan and doing that. But when you're talking about sort of your big, especially your bigger fish uh, in the sea, you know, for them if they respond to certain things, it makes it really big, right? Versus it gives it a huge platform. And sometimes you just have to like take it on the chin, so to speak. So I managed uh, media and communications for the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey. And for all of the listeners who don't have a sense of that organization, it is run by two governors, the governor of New York, the governor of New Jersey. It has a $7 billion a year budget, which is larger than most states. Uh, It controls all the airports, bridges, tunnels, part of the World Trade Center, the PATH train, It has its own police department. It's a massive entity that engages with millions and millions of people every day trying to get places. And so every day is a bad communication day at the Port Authority of New York (laughs) and New Jersey. And so so I think I sort of learned working there that some days you just you're just going to have bad press days when you're a bigger fish. And so sometimes you want to not respond. But then to your very correct point, when is not responding, letting people shape your narrative? Right. Yes. Yes. And that's what, so we feel very strongly about that. So I don't believe as a communications person in letting too many things go by, even if it's just sort of having a professional like us who may have the relationship or have the experience engaging with reporters in particular, you know, I'm, on this, I'm really talking about reporters versus sort of social media because they're, they're two very distinct, right, different, right, different yeah. lanes. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. For, yeah. for this example, I'm really talking about media. So we have experience or relationships where we can call the reporter and have conversations that either can shape the narrative of, the, of a story can make sure that it's blunting criticisms if they're being too unfair, or we may be able to work with them. And if you give us the necessary tools, proof to prove that what they're saying is wrong, maybe the story doesn't happen at all. So So there's a combination of ways to sort of deal with not staying silent, right? But it is... It really is a delicate, you know, it's the quintessential rock in a hard place where I think when we're talking sort of about some of the things that we've talked about, especially, you know, um, Black Lives Matter last last year, the year before, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that silence is deafening at some point. Not having some way to have that conversation feels deafening. And there's, there's times where it really is no communication is actually a very clear communication. Yes. Exactly. And so yes. I think that like that's, but finding your way through that 
it really does. I mean, you know, <laughs> to pat myself on the back, it does take a professional. Um, <laughs> it's okay. We're about shameless it. plugs on this show. Go <laughs> well, for it. Yes, you got it. the right all about it. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but it does take a team of people, and it, it also takes leadership that understands the difference between swinging at everything and also wait a minute this isn't who we are. And like, if you let it go too long, it's, it's, it, it can turn, it can go from a little C to a capital C crisis quickly. Yep. Yeah. Silence yeah, can absolutely. be deafening as the experience, oh. as the expression goes. Yeah. Unbelievable. So Anthony, you mentioned earlier about New York, the state of New York and its fight for marriage equality. Can you talk a little bit about how organizations can work to just weave in sort of an inclusive culture just in general? Because I'm sure you learned about how to sort of change minds and hearts during that initiative. The words that people say, I I care a lot less about these days, especially when you're in the LGBTQ space in particular. You know, I think Mm -hmm. recently I noticed something where, and again, I don't think anybody meant anything by it, right? Like I I really genuinely don't think anybody was, but I do think it was sort of shocking in the state of New York um, where I was filling out some forms uh, for my son and it was, you know, father, mother. Yeah. And so it's just tiny things like that, that literally, right. Snow skin off my back. I've, I've (laughs) listened, I worked in, I truly have worked for, I worked for the human rights campaign, which is the nation's largest LGBTQ advocacy organization. I've walked into buildings where people are protesting and calling me an abomination. And like, like this was nothing. I I really can't stress, but what it does is it does just trigger a little like, huh, lightning, like just a little light bulb in your head. Like no one thought like, what if we have, you know, two dads or what if we have two moms or what if we have a single parent or what if we, I, what if it just said parent? Yep. Yes. And then relationship. Yep. Primary parent yeah. or secondary yeah. Yeah. parent. Or divorces. You know? yeah. or like, so yes. I think I, I think I'm sort of weaving around it to answer your question. <laughs> it's it's little things like that that I think sometimes have more of a statement to your employees and your customers and the people that you engage with. It's tiny little nuances that lets people feel really seen in a way mm-hmm. that that it's like, gosh, man, someone was really thoughtful about this because right. yeah. I notice when it's not. And I also notice when it is. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's, I was just going to say the same yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's a strange, it's a, you know, and I don't, you know, listen, I'm not, I don't think anybody at this place where I was no. This form had any ill intention. They were not anti-gay. Like I know the difference mm-hmm. between yeah. right. anti-gay, right. anti-gay. Right. Yes, a little. Yes. You know, I guess we'll uh, not overly sensitive. Dated, right? maybe. Yeah, exactly. Dated. That's a dated, mm-hmm. dated application. Um, dated. So, but I think it's those things, and I think that you know we. In, in the sort of fight for marriage equality in New York, even post winning, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. I really wasn't planning on going on this tangent, but somehow I have. Post winning, it really was about form and it was mm. about these like little things. And this is mm-hmm. sort of where you get into, um, uh, you know, systemic equality, right? Where it's yeah. like, it's it's all the layers. Institutional. Yes. It's institutional. Right. Yes, right. that we've got to fix right. this. Yeah. It's yeah, layers yeah, yeah. that we have to kind of go back right. and figure out. And sometimes those things, I think, fall through the cracks because yeah, people don't always know. And then it comes back to what you and I talk about all the time, Chloe, and that's intentionality behind it too, right? Yeah. And you have to be intentional about these DE&I initiatives, right? So if we are going to be yeah. intentional about it and we are going to be DE&I, we are going to be inclusive and we are going to have, you know, it's open arms, open doors. 
and you don't think to go check your forms, you could have had the best intention in the world. Your heart could have been in it. You could have had the best statement known to mankind. Somebody walks in, looks at your form and goes, eh, you really don't know me, do you? Right. And can, that can be a killer. Yeah. Right. But it's also, again, it was it was systematically unequal and institutionalized on all fronts, right? I'm just talking broadly. And so when you address one of those, one of the many inequalities, then you have to, to that point of institutional and systemic, you have to like, you do have to go further. And I, and I do think, and, and I will say this as an advocate, uh, you know, again, there's a difference in anti-gay and just not paying attention. And like, I understand that. And so I do think when it comes to, from my perspective as an advocate, like I always want to sort of, you know, start with a, Hey friend, have you, can I just right. offer some feedback yeah. about this yeah. Yeah. Offer feedback and just like, could I just, Exactly. I think, you know, and then if I don't get, listen, I'm happy right. to turn on, I'm happy to turn on. And, <laughs> but I don't want to you come can bring in it. Hot. You can bring the fire if need yeah. be. Gotcha. I don't, like sometimes you want to come in hot because it needs to be hot, but sometimes it's exactly. like, yeah. come in and like, cause it does take raising your voice in these like little tiny things. Um, Anyway, I hope all that makes sense. I hope I answered your question. It's, it's all about reading the room, right? Okay. Communication is all about reading the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Adam, you said, um, I guess your perception mm -hmm. of if you see a form and you're not able to to fill it out or if it doesn't have the right information. For me, if I see something and I don't, you know, see representation on the form immediately, what I think is, oh, this is not for me. Right. You know, right. Is, is usually it's what I think. Well, it becomes exclusionary. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, mm, I don't, you know, and sometimes it's like by choice, but sometimes your subconscious mind will just be like, oh, there's not a box for me to check. Like maybe I don't have the right form or maybe I don't, you know, it's just so we're all moving so fast that if we're not inclusive with just these little things to your point, Anthony, it's like we can miss out on a lot of, lot of opportunity. Right. Well, and when we kill ourselves to do all the really big stuff. And again, when I think people don't realize just these tiny little things can really make people feel so much a part of whatever community you're trying to build or whatever you're trying to solve yeah. or fix um, in a yeah. way that like, again, people don't realize, yes, it's small, but it's, it has a really big impact. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show yeah, today, Anthony. I really, really enjoyed you it. Can, yes, we did as well. Yes. We did as well. You dropped some gems on us. Totally. <laughs> totally. I tried. I tried. This is an episode yes. that you all need yes. to come back to time and time again. Yes, yes, yes. You can follow Anthony and all his work at the at www.hayesinitiative.com and be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn at Chloe Reed and Adam Moore and Anthony Hayes if you've enjoyed this episode, please make sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and check out our previous episodes. Stay tuned for next time. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Breaking Barriers, Building a Higher Ground. We are grateful for the time you spend with us and participating in these conversations. Please review and rate and share our show as we are focused on growing awareness in the supply chain inclusion and supplier diversity space. If you'd like more information, please visit us at higherground.io. That's H-I-R-E ground dot I-O. Thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.